Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. The writings of John the Apostle emphasizes the reality of Jesus Christ. It's almost as though the teachings of Judaism and the philosophies of the Greco-Roman world were mostly speculative, hypotheticals. But when Christ came, he was someone that made God visible tangible. He made God real. It's almost as though when you saw Christ, John would say you saw the Father. And when you heard this man, Jesus the Christ, it's as though you heard God. And when you touched this man and interacted with this man, you got a sense that God in heaven had come down to earth. And more than what Judaism could give, more than what the philosophies of the known day could give, Christ declared the Father. He made him substantial, tangible, and real. So much so that John would even quote Jesus as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus makes that statement in John 14, I am the truth, The actual Greek rendering there, aletheia, is the word reality. That is, Christ would be speaking, he would say, I am the way to God the Father, and I am the truth. That is, I am the one who also makes God the Father real. Teachings couldn't do it. Jesus had already said the scribes and the Pharisees, they search the scriptures and they, they, they go after truth, thinking that in, in, in knowing truth and in concepts and teachings that they have the eternal life. But Jesus said, no, the scriptures speak of me and you ought rather to come to me, the person, and learn from me, the person, because teachings is not going to make God real to you. The person of Christ makes God real. And I love this aspect about Jesus. He's not just another guru. He's not another teaching. He's not just a kind of a role model. He puts God on display. He makes God genuinely, authentically, substantially real. And then... Jesus relates to his disciples that he has to go away and he's going to send another comforter to be with the disciples. And Jesus uses the same descriptions of the Holy Spirit that he referenced pertaining to himself. The Spirit will also be the Spirit of truth. That is, the Spirit who makes me real to you the spirit of truth. In this message, I want to take a few verses from John chapter 14 and unpack it just a little bit for you. 
and bring you into this sobering thought. The Holy Spirit is not just here to entertain us or sensationalize us. The Holy Spirit is here, even alongside us and within us. To do what? To make Jesus real to us. Even as the man Jesus made the Father real to us, the Holy Spirit does the same. In a way, what is spirituality? What is it to walk with God? What is it to be a spiritual man or woman? But to be in the reality of God. While all those around us are in hypotheticals and in conjectures and in speculations, the real man and woman of God is in the reality of God. Why? Because he's in the Holy Spirit of reality. He is in the Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach, of reality and he is in the father who is himself the very reality in this message i want to challenge you to partner with the spirit of reality There are two thoughts in John's Gospel that I want to introduce you to briefly. In chapter 1 through 13, there is this overwhelming thought that God came into a man, Jesus of Nazareth. God, in a way, incarnating into man. And that is told mostly within the chapters 1 through 13. But in chapter 14, things in a way turn around. And in chapter 14, all the way to the conclusion of John's Gospel, it's as though Jesus is beginning to describe why God became a man. What was the end goal of God becoming a man? Why did Jesus have to die? What is the blood all about? The washing, the forgiveness... What is redemption really all about? And Jesus in John 14 begins to explain all of the, the passion and the, the, the crucifixion and the suffering. And it has this one intention. It's to bring man into God. Man into God. And, and, and John, in a way, then has these two sections. The first section... It's all about God in the man, Jesus Christ, ministering, dying. But then, here it comes. Jesus begins to explain, all of this passion was really to bring you, man, into God. That's why we would often read in the New Testament things like this. Paul would say, um, we are seated with Him in the heavenlies. In Colossians, Paul would say, I am in Christ, in God, and I should set my mind on the things of uh, above, where I am seated with God. Paul would make these references, and it, it plays perfectly into this understanding of John's gospel. Why did Jesus die for you? Why did Jesus forgive you? Why did Jesus' blood spill for you? 
Why justification? Why righteousness? Why? Why? So that you can come into God. God came into a man so that man somehow mystically could come into God. And in the beginning chapters of John 14, Jesus explains this. He says, you know, I am going to my Father to prepare a place for you so that where I am in my Father, you may also be. And it changes this whole dynamic. It's not just enough for God to come into my world. It's as though God wants you in, in His world. He wants to, in a way, catch you up into His bosom. Christ came out of the bosom of God. And now He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to take you with me. So that where I am, you may also be. And he begins to explain some of those things. But here then comes the most beautiful part of it all. Jesus then introduces them to the Holy Spirit that will accomplish this reality of coming into God. The humanity of Christ accomplished salvation. But the Spirit of Christ will accomplish your indwelling God. So the work of Christ is to forgive you, to wash you, to cleanse you, and He does that in His humanity. But that's only half of the gospel. The other half of the gospel is that you can now come before the throne of God. You can come even in Christ, in to God. You can now live in Him, move in Him, and have your whole being in Him while you're walking on this earth. I don't quite understand that. But the reality of that, the experience of that, can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. So in the natural, even look at this, in the natural Jesus, just like me, we're trying to explain things to you guys. But we can't make it real to you. Even Jesus, He's explaining and explaining and explaining. But then He punts it over to the Holy Spirit. For all of this to become actual reality in your being, I have to deflect to the Holy Spirit. And I do the same. Many of you would ask me these awesome questions and you really corner me. Because I'm, I'm trying to explain. And, and you think the Christian life is a life of explanation. I want to tell you, explanation will always fall short. So even as a teacher, I have to deflect and refer you to the Holy Spirit. While I'm trying to explain things and I'm going to always fall short, the Holy Spirit is the one that can bring you into this reality. That's why the entire New Testament, there is such a strong push for you and I to mind the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Constantly we are referred to the Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, without the reality of the Holy Spirit in me, without my partnership with the Holy Spirit, without becoming one in the Holy Spirit, I will never experience the in God aspect of the gospel. And have you heard Christians lately? I just don't feel God. I just, I, where's God? I just, I'm left alone. It's because you're trying to figure everything out in the mind. You're going to always fall short. So you have to learn to be in your spirit. Walk 
in mind, set your mind constantly. Only the Holy Spirit can bring you into the closeness of God, into the fellowship of God, into that abiding and experience and the richness and the, the knowing of God. I can't teach you into God. I can sort of give you a little bit of a, a, a frame of reference. There's a little box. This is how God things work. Point one, point two, point three. You know, I've got a Bible verse here and a Bible verse there. That's all that we can do. But only the Holy Spirit can bring you into reality. And then Jesus begins to explain this. Now go to John chapter 14 and look at verse 15. This is his last sermon. His final thoughts and comments on what it's all about. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Basically, she's saying, hey, if you love me, I'd, I'd love for you to then listen up. I'd love for you then to obey. And you'll see in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, Peter would be preaching and he says, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. I don't want to talk in obedience right now, but it's, it's a big issue in the Christian life. And it's almost a blasphemous word nowadays because we want to obey insofar it's within my comfort, within my strength and capability, and it's unpredictable and controllable. Then I'll obey. But be it as it may, the Lord is basically saying, hey, I'd love for you to really stick close with me and obey. In verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father that he will give to you another comforter. We will talk about this comforting aspect of God in a little bit. And I want to ask the Father that he will give you this comforter so that he may be with you. That he may be with you. That is, alongside you. Verse 17. He's going to explain who this comforter is. And he says, This comforter is the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of truth. And probably in your Bible, you have the English word truth. But I do want to tell you, that word truth is better translated in you and I's English as the word reality. And you would do well to take a little bit of a pencil and circle that word truth and make a little arrow and say reality. Now reread that sentence. I want you to obey. I'm going to ask my father, Abba, to send you another helper, another comforter, parakletos in Greek. We will talk about that later so that He can be with you. And now He's going to, in a way, teach a little bit more who this other helper, comforter, uh, teacher, leader is going to be. And the first thing that He says about the Holy Spirit here, He says, this is going to be the Spirit of truth. That is, the Spirit is going to make the things of God real to you. The Spirit is going to actualize the things of God for you. The Spirit is going to cause you to experience the things of God and it's very much predicated on your obedience. If you love me, you take care of the obedience and the Spirit takes care of the reality. 
Jesus can explain, 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 explain. But at some point or another, you have to be yoked unto the Holy Spirit. And the yoking is your obedience. What yokes you and glues you and duct tapes you to the Holy Ghost is, I can't even say it, obedience. But be it as it may, with your obedience, the Spirit is going to make the things of God actual, real, authentic, genuine, substantial, tangible, experiential. So Jesus calls him not the spirit of further teaching, but the spirit of reality. And beloved, this is what we need in the Christian life. Teaching can bring you only so far, but the spirit has to bring you into the experience of it all, predicated on your partnership, your agreement, your obedience. Now look at verse 17. This is the spirit of reality, whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive the spirit. Therefore, you have to decide, beloved, are you going to remain a worldly person or are you going to go ahead and become a consecrated person? Are you going to cross over that median from the world over into the things of the kingdom of God? You cannot ride the fence here. You cannot have a haphazard obedience. If you want the things of God to become real to you here in the kingdom of God, then you have to allow the Holy Spirit to declare war on your ego, on your will, on your ambition, on your pursuit, on your flesh, on your mind, on your emotions, on your paradigms. And everything that is in you that is worldly has to be addressed by the Spirit if you are to come into the reality of the things of God. So many of us, we would say, I just don't experience God. I, I just don't understand God. I just don't feel God. But beloved, do you love the world? Is the Holy Spirit gaining ground in you through your obedience and, and denying, crucifying, allowing the things of the world to, to, to leak out of you? And your love of the world, your affection of the world, how much energy is expended to the world? How often does worldly things swirl in your mind? It's called worldliness. And a friend of the world cannot be a friend of God. And that's why we don't come into some of these real things of God. Like we're taught. You know, we would say, here's the book of Acts. Why am I not experiencing it? It's probably because of you. Did I just crash? Did I just again say things that needs to be bleeped out? It's not God. It's me. The world cannot receive the Spirit. And as long as you stay worldly, you and I don't receive the Spirit of reality. We may be born again. We may be believers in Jesus. But we're not experiencing reality. We're just sort of in a merry-go-round of Christian entertainment. But Jesus didn't die so that you could just sort of be entertained. Jesus died so that God can become real to you. Amen. So he says, the world cannot receive the Spirit, 
because it does not behold him. Oh, here's a trick. It does not behold him. Oh, glory. Who do you behold on a daily basis? The world beholds money. The, whole be the, the world beholds idols. The world beholds, you know, clawing and, and, and competing. And that's what the world beholds. Movies, media, idols and icons and stuff. This is what we behold. And I say, what you behold, you become. What you behold, you become. So if you and I then begin to behold the, the, the Spirit of God versus the, the, the world, whoever you behold, you're going to be formed into that one's reality. It says here, the world does not behold Him, nor does it know Him. So you and I ought to know the Spirit. We should not be knowing the world. Gnosko is the Greek word here. It means intimate acquaintance. Who are you more intimately acquainted with? The affairs of this world or the affairs of God's kingdom? So here's a challenge for me. Who do you behold and who ultimately are you studying and investigating and leaning into for understanding? The world or God? And see, as you and I obey the Spirit... He will bring me into reality, the reality of what Jesus died for, the accomplishments of God's salvation. So Jesus goes on here in John 17, he says, The world cannot receive the Spirit. It doesn't behold Him, nor know Him. But I love this, listen, you know Him. He's speaking there to the disciples. And he says, you know him. It is possible to know the Holy Spirit. You have intimate acquaintance with him. Your affection and passions and energy is not expended on the world. You know him. Your affection and energy and passion. It's all expended on Him. He says, because He abides with you, and He shall also be in you. That with you is really the word alongside. He will be along you, and in, well, that's in I don't have a better translation for that. And it gives you, in a way, two aspects of the Holy Spirit. He will be within you and right beside you, which is really what the word parakletos means. Mm -hmm. And we as Christians, all day long, we're like, where's God? Why don't I feel God? I need a revival. I need some song. No, you don't. Not really. Not really. Jesus here deflects to the one who will really bring you into the depth of God your soul is aching for. He'll bring you into the heavenlies your spirit was meant to soar into. Teaching can do that for you. Movements and men and ministries and books, we can't do that for you. Only the spirit can bring you into reality. He will be right beside you. 
and also within you. It's the two dimensions of the Holy Spirit that's expounded in the book of uh, Luke and also in the book of Acts. That was the reality in Christ's life and was also the realities of the disciples' life and should be the reality of every person who says, I'm a son and daughter of God. You should come into the reality of Christ in you and Christ with you. The Spirit within you and the Spirit beside you. None of us should ever say, where is God? We should always say, thank you, Lord, you're right here. But that fact that we say, where is God? It's probably because you've been disobedient, and so you cannot come into the reality. You're not partnering with Him, obeying Him. And so no wonder you don't come into the reality. You say, where is God? I want you to look at verse 18. I'm not going to leave you orphans. What is an orphan? It's without parental influence. An orphan is somebody without the alongside father or mother. An orphan is destitute, forsaken. And it's interesting that so many of us, even in the Lord's church, have this orphan mentality. Where is God? And he says it here. I'm not going to leave you without an aid, without being alongside. You're not going to be alone. Look at verse uh, 18. I am coming to you. And here, Christ is coming in spirit. First, God came in flesh. Now God's going to come in spirit. In His flesh, He taught you. In His flesh, He died for you. But in spirit, He is going to scoop you up and bring you into the bosom of God, into the reality of God. I'm coming to you. A little while and the world beholds me no longer, but you behold me because I live, you will also live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father and uh, you in me and I in you. Look at verse 21. Just for in case they forgot their role in it all. He who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. So how do you prove your love for God? By jumping? By shouting? How do you prove your love for God? By laying on a bed of nails? No. You prove your love for Jesus... By simple obedience. It's in a way he's talking about the spirit that's going to bring you into the reality of God. But it just reminds you, hey, you stay obedient to me, okay? Even though I'm not with you in the flesh anymore, I'm going to be with you in spirit. Obey the spirit just like you obeyed me in the flesh. Okay? I want you to notice verse 21. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Beloved, your obedience is opening up a doorway for Christ to manifest himself to you. Isn't it amazing that so many of us, we have these prayer meetings. Oh God, please show up. Oh God, show me. Oh God, reveal yourself to me. Oh God. And he says here, basically, I do want to show up. I do want to manifest myself. I do want to make myself known. 
I do want to be real to you. But it's, it's a little bit like he wants something also from you. Would you then please just obey? Would you just do your part and I'll do my part? And look at his part. He will manifest himself. Isn't it amazing that we sing songs? I want to know you. Oh God, I want to know you. And like three years later, God, I want to know you. Uh, next year, oh, show me your face, God, and fall down and Lord, reveal yourself. Why are we singing these songs? Hello, I, I get it. We're, we're desperate. I, I get that. But as long, the Lord says, I'm going to manifest myself to you. I'm going to show up in your life. But it's very much got to do with how will you obey the prompting of the Spirit, the teaching of the Spirit, the, the mandate of the Spirit. When the Spirit says, yes, do you go? When the Spirit says, no, do you stay? When the Spirit says, up, do you up? When He says, sit, do you sit? Like, are you under the regulation of the Spirit? That's how God will manifest Himself to you. It's just so simple. It's not rocket science. I want you to uh, notice verse 23. Jesus answers and he speaks here to, uh, to Judas. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Uh, obedience again. Isn't that interesting that the Bible is so repetitive? It's like, Jesus, don't you have anything fresh to say? A little bit more original? He's back here to obedience. What is it now, like the fourth or fifth time that he's speaking about obedience? If you will love me and you keep my word, then my uh, Father will love you. And I want you to notice verse 23. We will come and make our dwelling with you. We will make our abode with you. Oh God, come fill this place. Oh God, come dwell in this place. Um, stop singing and just obey. And God will fill the place. Yeah. It's one thing to sing a song. It's another thing to obey. But I don't hear God. You hear Him all right. Stop making excuses. Come on. You hear God. If you're born of God, God owes it to you to speak. He owes it to you to lead you. He owes it to you to sanctify you. If you say you're a believer in God, then you're His temple. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Then He begins to say, I want this from you. I want that from you. I need you to learn this teaching. I need you to do A, B, and... He's the talking God. He communicates. Why? Because He wants to bring you into reality. But God just doesn't dwell with me. It's probably... Uh, I can't even look at this. I hope somebody can edit this recording. Every time I say the word obedience, there would be this bleep, bleep. <laughs> Notice here. We will come. Father, Son, Spirit will come. And Christians go, I'm just so dry. You're dry because you weren't entertained this week. You're dry because you probably didn't dare to just obey this week. God say, um, 
Hey, I want you to get up. Ach, no, God. God says, I want you to turn off the radio. Tell me why. God says, you should put down your cell phone for like, you know, seven minutes. What? Out. And so you want to go to some place and the, the band needs to sing for you and the preacher needs to preach and the book needs to give you goosebumps and entertain. You will never be entertained into the reality of God. Otherwise, you would have. Have you noticed how amazing our entertainment industry is nowadays? Show me the reality, baby. Only the Spirit can do that in partnership with your obedience. But I love this. We will come and dwell with you. God comes into man. And man comes into God. Wow! Wow! Verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my word. Here we go again. Give me something original, Jesus. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, while I was dwelling with you and walking with you. Verse 26. But the Comforter, this Paracletos, now he says, it's actually the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And He will remind you Notice, He will teach you. He will bring to you remembrance. I love this. The same is said here in uh, 1 John chapter 2. In verse 20 where John says, You have an anointing that you received from God that is with you and abides with you and, and it is in you. And you have really no need that, that a Francois teaches you. Francois don't know it all. Books don't know it all. We are so inadequate to fully teach and instruct. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But don't be afraid. You have an anointing who lives within you, who will teach you all things. But aha! I know what you think when you hear the word all things. You think according to, way, to the way of the knowledge of good versus evil. It's as though you think the Holy Spirit is to, to, to be a Google and teach you all knowledge. So you're just kind of like a superstar who knows all things. This is not the knowing we're talking about. When the Spirit teaches you, He wants to teach you who your Lord is. He wants you to intimately become acquainted with Jesus Christ. Like Paul would say in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Him. I don't want to know what He knows. I just want to know Him. And I know when the word teaching and the word knowing is used in our culture, we think information. But when this word is used in a biblical sense, it at times has the word information in its, in its context. But most of the time, it's intimate acquaintance. My, my word, fellowship. Camaraderie. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you who this 
beautiful Lord is that you and I say died for us. But I know when you want the Holy Spirit's teaching and the anointing to teach you all things, you probably think he is a kind of a Google. Just gimme, 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 gimme information. Because you and I think the more information I have, the more spiritual I am. Beloved, that is not the truth. The Pharisee had more biblical information than you and I and everyone in Christian North America added together has. And Jesus read their mail that they were actually not in the reality of God. Information is not the reality of God. So don't worry that you don't know how the world began. Don't worry that you don't know how the world's going to end. And don't worry that you don't know anything in between. It's okay that God knows that all that you need to do is say, Lord, I trust you. Amen. God, I trust you. And whatever you ask of me, amen, I'll obey. Stop thinking that spiritual maturity is a wealth of information. It's not true. Spiritual maturity is intimacy with God. Obedience to God. Come on, people. I know I'm cussing. <laughs> he says he's going to teach you. And then he's going to remind you. Remind you. I, I, I think what you want from the Holy Spirit, I certainly do. I want the Holy Spirit to dazzle me. Give me a new heavy revy. I need another revelation. Latest, greatest revelations dot com. Or because I'm spiritual dot org. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you. Not like entertain and dazzle. Remind you of just what's the basics in God. The nature of God. The accomplishments of God. The basic things that Jesus said. Uh, question. When was the last time you kind of like read a gospel? Just kind of figure out what the man said. Because the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of that. No, but you want to figure out where's Noah's boat? And where is the Ark of the Covenant? And who is Gog and Magog? Who's the Antichrist? And, and I, I, I'm amazed at us as Christians with the rabbit trails. And the Holy Spirit is just going to remind you of what Jesus said. But of course, we don't behold Christ. I mean, like seriously. We behold the Antichrist. Now there's some action for you. There's something to get excited about. It's going to remind you of all the things which I have said. Hey, just do yourself a favor. Like once every five or maybe ten years. I don't want to overdo it. Just read the gospel. I dare you. Give the Holy Spirit something to remind you of.